Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the world. Next key card, cricket show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield, and I'm more or less ecstatic to be able to say that cricket punditry guru Tony Kerr has graciously agreed to come down the studio and help me out here tonight. It's a real pleasure, Adam. A real pleasure. It's a real pleasure. <laughs> I mean, this is a top top podcast, isn't it? And to be involved with it is a dream come true for someone like me. You know. How's it going this week, Tom? Yeah, good. I've you, just <laughs> I've just come from a run. You don't look in a great way, to be honest. <laughs> you know, though, when you do that thing where you run uh, and it's yep. really cold, and then you come inside and you're like, because <gasps> suddenly everything's really different temperature and stuff. <laughs> you look. I mean, you look. The word I'd use to describe what you look like is dishevelled. Your hair's all over the place. <laughs> your, your eyes are red and bloodshot. Uh, you're wheezing. That's what happens when you push your body to the well, limit. Well, this is Adam. the thing, because you keep going on about this uh, this exercise regime that you're on. You've turned over a new leaf in your life. You're you know you're on a health kick, constantly out running. But this is the first time I've seen you in the immediate aftermath of a run, <laughs> and you're really struggling. You're struggling for breath. It's tough, mate. It's tough out there. Well, the thing is, I've just run along the coast. <coughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, okay. Then. Yeah. We can wait yeah. ten minutes and start no, again if you. No, want. I, you know, and I, I went. I ran the first one hard, the first length uh, of, of the kind of bay. I went around this big bay, uh, pelted it fast as I've ever gone. But then on the way back, the wind was in my face, and it's just like freezing wind rushing down into my throat, and it just yeah, it's tough, mate. That's what you've got to put yourself through if you want to be as fit as I am. <laughs> <laughs> you should do a uh, exercise video. Could be quite good actually. Like release a DVD, like Davina. Like Davina McCool, like uh, did Katie Price do one? Almost certainly, I would say. Yeah. Have you not done one yet? Knee rehabilitation DVD with with Adam Bayfield. Re rehabilitation. Knee habilitation isn't very good, so I probably won't call it that. <laughs> yeah, but, that's for, you've had that one for free, mate. Do a, do a YouTube series. Get a YouTube channel. I've been thinking about getting a YouTube channel anyway, <laughs> just to air my bonkers political views. Maybe I could combine that with. <laughs> Knee-habilitation series as well. So, like, as, you know, as I'm facing the camera doing my exercises, I could be just spouting off about uh, all the things I think about the world. Oh, do you know what's annoying me this week, Adam? What's that, Tony? Before you ask, I'm on Facebook. Add me if you want. <laughs> I, 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 you I, added do, I added you. you. I think I was the first person you ever added. I think, well, you harassed me into getting onto Facebook 
back in like 2005 or something i mean we, we were pretty cool the two of us and joined facebook before it was cool we were pretty with it pretty hip yeah hip to what was going on but yeah you harassed me into getting facebook account and so yeah i probably you probably were the first person that i added You've never looked but back I, have you since? i have now hidden you it's <laughs> worth pointing out i'd do the same my, my moan was basically going to be about things i don't want to see I don't, the worst status update in the world for me is people counting down to holidays yeah I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. I'm so pretty little, sure you do that, though, Tony. You can, you can go through my timeline back to 05, man. I will not find any mention of a countdown. I d- maybe not, but I do think you're in slightly dangerous territory no, if you're I starting you're to criticise people for the Facebook statuses that they post. You know, how much you enjoyed the cheesecake that you'd just eaten and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's kind of ironic, though. Really, Is it? Yeah. Is it ironic? No, my, my major issue, though, is with people essentially saying... I've booked holiday. I don't care. You know, so there'll be the status of, oh, booked. And then there'll be one a couple of weeks later. Oh, holidays I've booked for this year are this. And then a couple of weeks after that, I'll be like, oh, this time in three months, I'll be in. No, I don't care. (laughs) Don't give it, don't tell me this. The one that really annoys me is when people just go, heading off to the gym. I'm sure you do this I've as never well. Done that. Heading Come off on, for mate. a run. Go on, mate. If I check I've now, you've probably posted about your run. <laughs> I've never done that. You don't post on Facebook. I'm going to I'm 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 post and see if anyone gets back to you. I'm like, oh, just go back for a cracking run. <laughs> That's what you should post. <laughs> I like how indignant you are about the idea that you've posted on Facebook about going for a run. You don't post on Facebook, but you do talk about it on a podcast <laughs> endlessly. That's true. What, uh, what was I looking at the other day? Uh, it was something, some website, and it was like a list of like 25 things uh, we'll look back on in. So uh, 25 things we'll tell our kid, you'll tell your kids and they'll wonder why you did it. Yeah. And like number 14 or something was, uh, uh, had a podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone had a podcast back then. <laughs> and they won't have any idea why you did it. Every man and his dog has got a podcast. We've got a reason, days, haven't we? We've got a reason. What's our reason? If we had a mission state, if we had a business plan, and we had a mission statement, I guess it would be, to provide high-quality cricket punditry to the general public, I guess. Do you think we're achieving that? Have we written a business plan yet? <laughs> I'm not sure that we have. Could check with uh, check with corporate. I never see. understood business. I never understood mission statements. Like when I did GCSE business studies, and it was like, oh, write a business plan for a company that you've imagined, and then write a mission statement. And I, I thought it had to be something that was like kind of good you know like yeah. kind of imaginative but yeah most mission statements are just like oh to provide provide banking services to <laughs> the public or something just like this is rubbish why have you written that down i guess the our mission statement yeah is of, of our cricket podcast is to provide a podcast about cricket <laughs> i guess yeah it does seem like every man and his dog has got a podcast these days we've had a lot of people get in touch with us have you noticed this on the email and stuff just people saying like oh listen to your show it seems like pretty much anyone can do this so i've been thinking about uh, setting up my own one any advice yeah actively encouraged yeah so so get in touch with us worldcricketshow at gmail.com if you, <laughs> you, if you want you some tips perhaps that's how we can monetize the podcast is by selling our our knowledge and vast experience yeah, we're just making it big in the, in the podcast world. Set up a cricket podcast consultancy firm. Yeah, we could do that. Well, I mean, speaking of our rapidly expanding podcast empire, are you happy to be talking about cricket again this week, Tane, after the, uh, after the misery of tennis <laughs> last week? Oh, after having to talk about tennis. Listeners may or may not be aware uh, that we released the long-awaited second episode of the award-winning World Tennis Show last week. Came out of nowhere a bit, didn't it? No one was expecting it. Least of all the two of us. Yeah, it was all very confusing. One minute I was at home lying in bed, and then the next minute 
I was talking about tennis in a studio. Well, as well, because we had planned not to do a world cricket show, haven't we? Uh, we'd pl- planned to take a week off from the podcast. So, you know, I was looking forward to a nice break. You know, it was one less thing that I had to do last week. Real busman's holiday that turned out to be, didn't it? Because <laughs> we ended up, ended up taking a break from the podcast to do another podcast. But yeah, I mean, people have been going bonkers for it, haven't they? They've been going loopy over it. It's this year's Justin Bieber. It's this year's Carly Rae Jepsen. It's this year's NSYNC. We don't know what this year's those are, they, do we? It's, you know, well, it's this. this I guess, it's yeah. the World Tennis Show. It's the real <laughs> phenomenon of 2013. Uh, and if people would like to download it onto their laptops and phones, they could find it on iTunes or go to facebook.com slash world tennis show. But it is cricket that we're going to be talking about today, specifically these following things. Uh, South Africa and Pakistan have played a test match in Johannesburg. uh, So we'll be reflecting on what happened there. The Women's World Cup is quite literally underway in India. The group stage is quite literally over. um, So we'll be getting in amongst all of that and there will be time i would have thought for some side notes as well so lots to look forward to there are you beginning to feel any less knackered now tone <coughs> i'm getting my breath back yeah are you tired in general though were you tired before the run like where are you on the the tony kerr tiredness scale uh not too bad I had a pretty good nap nap uh, late on this afternoon I had some crazy dreams for an afternoon now yeah what not what dreams bad. Uh, I had a weird dream about I created a character which I really need to kind of flesh out because it could be the next kind of Frankenstein. <laughs> you created Dracula. a character in your dream. Yeah, it was kind of this weird, kind of a cross between Dracula and like Sherlock Holmes. Hang on, I don't understand. Do you mean in the dream this character was yeah, there? Yeah. Not that you had a dream where you were like in a writing studio, and <laughs> you, were, you were coming up with a character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the character is there, but okay. I just think it needs. I think this character's got. Legs. Did it have Le- legs? Literally had legs, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I had a weird dream about people dying in a drug fueled rock accident. Great stuff. Yeah, uh, it, well, was, it was really strange. I had a weird dream the other day that I was, uh, I was on the Ivory Coast Olympic swimming relay team. Uh, it was me, a mate of mine, Didier Zakora and Didier Drogba. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were going really well. We were, we were winning coming off the turn on the last leg. Didier Drogba was, uh, was coming home in freestyle, but he messed up that last length and uh, we ended up out of the medal. <laughs> it was gutting. That is gutting. Around the world now, on which we talk about things that have been happening around the world in a cricketing sense. Uh, let's start off in South Africa, because there was a test match in Johannesburg this week between the home side and Pakistan, uh, the first of a three-match series. Ahead of the series, on paper, it looked like it could be quite a close contest. You know, obviously, South Africa, the number one side in the world, definitely start as favourites, but but you did feel that uh, Pakistan could have a real good go at them. Uh, so it could be quite close. And after the first day of the game in Johannesburg, it did indeed appear to be heading that way. But then Dale Steyn turned it on on day two, and it dissolved into a bit of a demolition job. On that first day, South Africa had been bowled out for 253, uh, with Mohamed Hafiz taking four for 16 and two wickets apiece for Umar Gul and Junaid Khan, who bowled very, very well. Pakistan at that stage would have been feeling pretty optimistic, pretty confident, but that confidence was misplaced. They were all out for 49. Werner Flander took two for 16, Jacques Callis two for 11, and Dale Steyn six for eight. I'll repeat that, six for eight. 
after that, you know, the game was pretty much gone. South Africa could have actually enforced the follow-on, which is crazy when you consider they were bowled out for 253. They chose not to. They declared on 275 for three. AB de Villiers making an unbeaten 103. Pakistan slipped to 82 for four. Uh, there was a bit of a fight back with a, a decent partnership between Mizbah al-Haq and Assad Shafiqi. Both made half-centuries. But more wickets sustained, 5 for 52, meant that in the end, they were all out for 268. And South Africa won by 211 runs. Is this the year of the low total? Well, we've had, uh, we've had a couple so far, haven't we? But two in a month. And there was actually an article in The Guardian about this, just saying that um, in the last three years, even if you ignore Bangladesh and Zimbabwe, the various test teams around the world have been bowled out for less than 100 on 12 occasions. Um, it only happened nine times in the whole of the 1960s, 13 times in the 1970s, 14 times in the 1980s, 15 times in the 1990s. And yet in three years of this de- decade, it's happened 12 times already. Obviously, it's happened in very eye-catching fashion um, in the last 15 months with Australia all out for 46, New Zealand all out for 45, and now Pakistan all out for 49, which is their lowest test total of all time. So in a way, you, you sense a pattern, but then maybe it's not a, a very general pattern because on all three of those occasions, that's South Africa doing it. I mean, it, it's just, just a case of South Africa being unbelievably good, particularly on their home turf. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the quality of Stain, Philander, and Morkel, that's enough of uh, kind of enough of a reason on its own, isn't it? Like you'd say, but Callus as well, don't forget Callus. Yeah, to hear <laughs> A not playing and B not very good. No. Uh, just so that one is a joke. <laughs> good gag. Uh, but yeah, clearly that's got a big part to do with it, hasn't it? Uh, but yeah, I mean, another ruthless performance. I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's a different attitude, you know, when a team is six down now, say in the 30s, perhaps in the past, the attitude might have been just to completely shut down and just scrabble along. But now maybe they just think, well, this is over, let's play some shots and they get out still quicker. Very possibly. And this Guardian article um, was suggesting that perhaps it's the rise of 2020 that's done this because maybe when they're under pressure like that, batsmen, they go to big shots rather than knuckling down and trying to grind out some runs it might be it's possible that there's a psychological thing like from pakistan's point of view they might feel they've done all right because they went <laughs> they went past what new zealand and australia made um, i mean certainly in our old cricketing days 49 would have actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would have been quite a decent point that's not a terrible total <laughs> i mean um, also i was gonna say the other thing yeah i wonder possibly 2020 plays a part in this but it's certainly a trend that's gone back further than the emergence of 2020 you know teams coming out in test cricket and Try and sc- trying to score really quickly, uh, you know, playing shots really early on. So perhaps more often, you know, whilst we get instances where, say, you know, a Warner and a Watson go and put on a couple of hundred very quickly, yeah, as, as much as you get that instance now, you also get teams who very quickly find themselves three or four down because yeah, they've tried to go up quick. Or, yeah. uh, and then, then if you get a collapse in there, it's game over. Whereas if, you know, probably 20, 30 years ago, teams would come out and their aim would be to get to 70 or 80 without losing a wicket and... In, you know, in as long as that took. So. No, that's a good point. And uh, if you look at that Pakistan opening partnership, it's Mohammad Hafiz and Nazir Jamshed, who are by trade limited overs players, aren't they? They're, they're limited overs players who have come into the test team. And I think, well, I mean, Jamshed's new to the team, but Hafiz is a very, very good test batsman. But they're naturally inclined to play shots, aren't they? It might be a psychological thing as well that once a team is 30 for six, when they're playing South Africa, in South Africa, at the moment, they just think, well, we can't salvage this. I mean, maybe in the past they'd have thought, let's get up to 120, 130, 140, and we might still be able to win the game. But if you're 30 for six against this bowling attack, you may just be thinking, well, it's gone. And so, I mean, Umar Gul played a terrible shot. 
when really, you know, he, he might have tried to stick around and eke out another 20, 30 runs and perhaps Pakistan could have got up to something like 90. <laughs> um, you know, of course, it's true that South Africa were fantastically good um, in all three of these demolitions. Uh, and, you, I mean, you look at those Dale Stain figures, six for eight in the first innings, five for 52 in the second. How good is this guy, Tate? Good? Useful, isn't he? Well, at the moment, I mean, he's pretty unstoppable. Yeah, already this year he's got 24 wickets. Clearly in a rich seam, isn't he? Right. Well, I mean, he's close to unplayable when he's in that kind of mood. Um, in the New Zealand series, he went past 300 test wickets. He's 17th on the all-time list, uh, and he's far from done yet, I would say. Um, he's got the best strike rate of any bowler in test history, which is not something to be sneezed at because, I mean, he's, he's been around for a long time now. It's, you know, to have taken 300 test wickets and be doing it at a better strike rate than Malcolm Marshall and Michael Holding and Joel Garner and all the bowlers that have played test cricket before. That is incredible. And for, for me, he will go down as one of the modern greats alongside McGrath and Ambrose and Wasi Makram. But He know. ought to. I mean, he's a very exciting bowler to watch. Yeah, Glenn McGrath, obviously astonishing bowler, both in kind of affecting results and statistically, but not necessarily the most thrilling bowler to watch. But Stain is a real crowd pleaser. You don't want to see Stumps kind of cartwheeling out the ground. Well, he's, he's quick and he's hostile. Yeah. And when he gets on a roll, it is like watching Curtly Ambrose or someone like that. It's really, really exciting. So, yeah, ultimately, it, it's, a, it's a heavy defeat for Pakistan. And I mean, that is slightly disappointing in a way, because I was certainly hoping that this would be quite a tight series. Um, after South Africa, you know, swept New Zealand aside so comprehensively, you thought, well, maybe they'll be tested much more sternly by Pakistan. Uh, and Pakistan have had some very decent results in the last couple of years. They're number four in the test rankings. So I did think that they might run South Africa a bit closer than they did in Johannesburg. Was this a case, do you think, of, of them letting themselves down? Or is the golfing class as wide as 49 all out would suggest? Are South Africa simply too good? Or do you think Pakistan can and will get better in the next two games? Yeah, I think I think Pakistan will get better. Clearly, South Africa are the better team at the moment, better form, more comfortable situation in many ways. Uh, whereas Pakistan still trying to get going, aren't they, again, in many respects in Test cricket. There's still a lot up in the air. But given the quality they've got in their side, uh, you'd expect them to be able to make more of an impact on South Africa. And, they, you know, they did in that first innings keep them to a lowish score clearly demonstrated in the sec their second innings that they could at least bat a bit. Yeah, I'd be hopeful of a, a better all-round match next up. Yeah, because at the end of day one, Pakistan were on top, weren't they? Um, it was just then what happened on the second morning. You know, there's no coming back from that. I mean, South Africa then went out and got 275 for three declared in the second inning. So you, you look at that and think, well, they've sort of mastered the Pakistan bowlers there. But when you've just been bowled out for 49, it must be very, very difficult to then go out and bowl against a batting lineup as, as strong as that. There's almost a feeling now in, in some parts of the media that South Africa are, you know, unbeatable, particularly after what they did to New Zealand and what they've done in this game. And they haven't lost a test match for over a year. But I really don't think that they are unbeatable. If you look at what happened in Australia recently... They went there and they won and it was a fantastic result and they did really, really well. But they could and probably should have lost that series 2-1 because Australia had opportunities to win both those games. Obviously, it's great credit to South Africa that they were able to come through in both of those games and get draws. But if you just look at the balance of play in that series, overall, Australia, you know, can feel aggrieved to have lost there. So I think that, you know, if you're Pakistan, you, you should look at South Africa and think there are, that while they're a formidable team, there are weaknesses there 
that can be exploited. Uh, you know, and if you look at the two lineups, I think what's striking is that you do see two very, very good bowling attacks. And obviously, South Africa's is the best in the world. Uh, and obviously, Pakistan's isn't as threatening in these conditions as it is in the UAE. Ajmal and Rayman in the UAE is, is where Pakistan are at their best. But there are some world-class bowlers in that team. And they did prove, as I say, on day one, that they can get in amongst this, this South African batting lineup. The question was always going to be whether the Pakistan batting could stand up to Stain and Philander and Morkel and Callis. And the evidence so far would suggest that they emphatically can't do that. And we've seen that Pakistan have had problems with their batting unit for a long time, even in that series against England when they won 3-0. They struggled to post scores. I think they only went past 350 once in that series. They got bowled out for 99 in Dubai. But having said all that, they've got some very experienced players there. Mesbar al-Haq, Mohamed Hafiz, Yunus Khan. They don't come much more experienced than Yunus Khan. So if those guys can knuckle down and believe that they can get on top of these South African bowlers, Pakistan have the bowling attack that even if they can just get up to 250, 300 in their first innings, they've got a chance to win one or both of these two test matches. I don't think it's the case that South Africa are, are just too good for them. Do you feel that Saeed Ajmal might have something to say before the end of this series? Only got one wicket in, in Joburg, but... Uh, you'd have to think so, wouldn't you? Uh, like you say, if they can get a few runs on the board, uh, then they should be able to create some match-winning situations, potentially. Like, I guess, for Ajmal, if they can get those runs on the board, that's you know, that helps him out a lot more, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, hard to defend 49, isn't Well, it? exactly. Yeah. And, you know, obviously not ideal conditions for him, but spinners can succeed in South Africa. You, you, I'm sure you remember that Graham Swan took buckets of wickets there three years ago. Adran's not going to rip them apart, as he might do in the UAE, but he's certainly good enough to take wickets, even against this very, very strong South African lineup. So there's two tests to go, Cape Town and Centurion. What do you reckon then? Can, can you see any way back for Pakistan? What, what are you predicting? Even though I think, so, uh, even though I think Pakistan will get better... 3-0 to South Africa, well, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to disagree with that because a 3-0 result always looks like it you know, would be a, a total thrashing, but it might be that both games are very close, but South Africa are just ultimately good enough to win both games. So it could be two very close games to come. I, I'm, okay, because I need to disagree with you, I'm <laughs> going to go for 2-1 South Africa because you know Pakistan famously mercurial, famously erratic. I could see them coming out and uh, and producing a, a, an irresistible display in one of these two remaining games. South Africa are very, very hard to be at home, but Sri Lanka won a test there a year ago. Indeed, won the second test after getting very heavily beaten in the first. But the next game is in Cape Town, uh, which was the graveyard for Australia and New Zealand. It's, it's the place where both of them got bowled out uh, for less than 50. Pakistan had better hope that the 49 all-out was the nadir that it wasn't like the appetizer <laughs> before what comes ahead of ahead of cape town if we cross the indian ocean and a bit further to new zealand um, gladly england have arrived the england boys are in town it doesn't feel very long ago that they were in india uh, because it really isn't very long ago that they were in india but they're in new zealand now they went straight there from india they've played two warm-up games ahead of the three match 2020 series that starts in Auckland on Saturday. Both matches were against a New Zealand eleven, more or less an A-side. England won the first, but lost the second. The first game, England batted first, made 186 for three in their 20 overs, which is a pretty decent total. Some runs for Luke Wright, Owen Morgan, and Joss Butler, who made an unbeaten 57 from 24 balls 
with three sixes. And the New Zealand eleven were bowled out for 140, 46 runs short. Uh, Stuart Broad taking a hat-trick to finish with three for 22. The second game, England batted first again, made 170 for five this time. More runs for Owen Morgan, 51 not out, and more runs for Joss Butler, 51 as well. But this time, the New Zealand eleven got to the target. They got there off the last ball of the game, 171 for seven. Steve Finn taking some flack, conceded 44 from his four overs. James Treadwell also conceded 44 from his four overs. So there you go, that was the warm-ups. What tone, if anything, can we draw from those fixtures? Maybe we can be pleased with uh, with those couple of knocks by Josh Butler. Yeah, well, I think good, good to see Butler and Morgan getting some runs. You know, Morgan didn't set the world alight in India, so him putting runs on the board has got to be a positive. It's hard to get. It's hard to know whether to get excited or not uh, about uh, anything really at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone this, and I don't know. No, it should, I mean, it should be good. But three twenty twenties is what you want, at least. At least, at least, I'd say. Uh, I'd like to see tours consisting of five twenty twenties played on consecutive nights, uh, baseball style, instead of and instead of any fifty over games or maybe a couple of fifty overs as well. But yeah, five nights of twenty, like a feast of twenty twenty. We can really get into it then. I mean, not good for all the yeah, kind of. If you like watching cricket though, uh, not good for your friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. Yeah, although the games only last a few hours, yeah. don't they? I mean, I'm not sure they'll do five games on consecutive nights with the whole, you know, burnout, injury situation. Yeah, naysayers. But three 2020s is good, so looking forward to that. Saturday morning, perfect you know, perfect time. Traditionally, you know, you'd think they would have put it on probably a Friday morning, Monday morning, Thursday morning, just so that you, <laughs> no one could watch any of it. Uh, but well, it's, treat- where it's Saturday morning in England, is what, yeah. is what you mean. Yeah. But it's, I think, what is it, Saturday night? In New Zealand, that's how it works, right? Just trying it's to remember like where the date line is. 13, 14 hours ahead. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but then we do get Tuesday and Friday to look forward to after that, so good times. Well, I, I won't be able to watch any of that. Well, I have to go to work on a Saturday, so I won't be able to watch any of it either. But I'll be catching up with the highlights, <laughs> no doubt. Although I think it actually starts at six in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, I can get up early. Uh, which <laughs> will be, you. Which will be great. <laughs> uh, just on Joss Butler, a couple of 50s um, in those warm-up games. After doing all right in India... It does look as though he's going to be handed the gloves in, in both limited overs formats for the foreseeable future. They're sort of going to give him a chance to settle into the team, settle in at number five or six in, in the order. Some people are very excited about that. I think he's got an enormous amount to prove. Clearly, he can hit the ball a very long way. But what he's got to do is demonstrate that he can construct an innings in all different types of situations, not just come in at the end and smack it around. Now, he may well be able to do that, but he's got to prove that he can you know if he wants to get that uh, that coveted Bayfield seal of approval people have been talking about him as though he's like the obvious long-term solution why hasn't he been given the gloves before but that's kind of based on that one innings that he made against South Africa where he got what 32 off 10 balls which was amazing it was a blistering innings but it was one innings it probably shouldn't be forgotten that Craig Kiesvetter had a similarly spectacular start to his international career and then faded reserve judgment I would say on Just Butler even after this series it does raise the question though i think of of what the future holds for Keysvetter. Keysvetter and butler both play for somerset Keysvetter has always taken the gloves for somerset but presumably england will now put pressure on that county to to give the gloves to butler because you know they'll they'll want him to be getting as much experience as possible as a wicketkeeper there's a very real possibility that in the space of a few days craig Keysvetter has lost his place in the england team and the somerset team <laughs> Uh, which I think would have to go down as a bad winter 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, runs would have changed that for his. You know, it's not no one's fault but his own in many ways. Well, it is, but you, you know, you might feel slightly s- unfortunate <laughs> you circumstances. Think, you know, to have had a couple of bad games and lose your place in the international lose side and the county side. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't, I don't think it's keys better over though. Still time for him to go away, put some runs on the board, and and with them out the side changes. There's there's no reason why he can't uh, can't fight his way back in. Absolutely, he might just have to consider moving county to do that. I mean, he could still play for Somerset, just not as a wicketkeeper. But if he wants to, you know, re-establish himself in the England side as a wicketkeeper, then he may well need to move county. You happy to see Stuart Broad back? As I say, he took a hat trick in the first game. Captain Fantastic is back, team. Yeah, it's good news. I still feel like the England side needs needs a bit more consistency. You know, we need Broad to stick around a bit and not get injured. They didn't do quite as well, did they, the bowling unit in this uh, uh, in this second or well, third warm-up match, but the second result, Finn, Treadwell, a bit expensive. Broad did decently. Three for 24. Dernbach, a bit expensive. Question mark still. Your face dropped at the very sound of Dernbach's name. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> He did get dropped from that fifth um, ODI against India, but he's played both warm-up games here, which would suggest that they're still planning to play him as much as possible. If he plays in Auckland, then I do think it might be reaching a point where you have to wonder whether he's got like a cardboard box of incriminating photographs of like Ashley Giles and Giles Clark and Hugh Morris like in his attic or something. He yep. is the, he's like what Emily Sande has done with big public events. Uh, he's done with kind of one-day international bowling, isn't he? He's just the go-to man. Well, he's just, you can't get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, like, what's Emily Sande done? Yeah, she's released some nice songs. But you'd say, off the back of that, uh, traditionally, you wouldn't expect to sing, like, more than one song at opening ceremonies of Olympics, sports personality awards, well, did she every sing, other did public she event. Did she sing two going, songs at the Olympic opening ceremony? Maybe three, I um, think. At least one at the closing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast ceremony did she do the Paralympic I probably as well it was basically like her concert <laughs> yeah. so it's like Emily Sandy headlining supported by the Olympic opening ceremony oh, it's, it's weird isn't it because I, I, I remember saying that to someone at the time like why has she got so much coverage and they're like well you know she's a big star it's like well so's like so's I was going to say so's George Michael but he did get a very prominent yeah. that, was, that was the worst thing of 2012 of the year <laughs> it was George Michael's performance uh, in the opening ceremony it almost very, very close to taking the whole thing down from a kind of quality standpoint. It's what the Olympics will be remembered for, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I mean, Dernbach and Sande have definitely got something in common. You know, they're decent, but 
Yeah, so they deserve just, every opportunity that they get. You probably just wonder not. why they keep getting opportunities. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Dernbeck a lot recently, haven't we? I mean, basically, we think that his, you know, that he has run out of chances. I don't think that it means that his career is over permanently, but he's quite plainly damaging, you know, England's fortunes at the moment, potentially even costing them games. You've got to leave him out. I think I think they've got to give someone else a go. Chris Wokes would be, you know, the next cab off the rank. But I think he does need a chance to prove himself because they've picked him for the test squad for this New Zealand series as well. They've touted him as a possible Bresnan 2.0. Fitter, leaner, <laughs> faster. Younger. This would seem to be a good moment to kind of give him a chance to show what he can do in these games. I'm looking forward to seeing Alex Hales, although he didn't really do much in the warm-up games. He's been bashing it around Australia, hasn't he? In the big bash. Yeah. He's been big bashing it's it around. bashing it from Perth to Brisbane. Well, didn't he? He, he, he played well, one innings. Yeah, he? Basically, I think his first innings there was really good. I saw an interview with him where he said that because he'd just got off the plane, like he literally came off the plane and went out onto the pitch <laughs> padded to up play in that the, innings. Went to the bathroom to pad up. Padded up in the arrival hall while he was waiting for his bag, baggage reclaim. But he says he doesn't remember it because he was so like, right. jet-lagged and Probably... Stuff. Watch the watch the you know watch the rerun, Alex. Because <laughs> it was a good innings. Yeah, it was a great innings. You learn from it. What's your prediction for this series, Tone? Two uh, one England. <laughs> Where have you got that? Huh? I just like uh, the way that you came <laughs> up with that. I could just see in your mind that you just kind of plucked it out of nowhere. Well, that's that's how my punditry works. I so. guess it's a bit like twenty twenty, isn't it? Because we do yeah. know that twenty twenty is fifty fifty. I mean, unfortunately, my big. Uh, my big loving about getting the uh, England-India one-day series prediction right uh, it was cut short by a tennis show last week, so I wasn't able to, to kind of hammer home that. But, yeah, spot on about that, <laughs> as always. Uh, no, uh, yeah, 2-1 to England. Pff, I don't know, it is 2020. On their day, New Zealand can win. They're able to win. But I just feel like England will have the edge. England, the stronger team, therefore. Uh, you know, maybe there's some rain right? around, though. Maybe one all. Maybe 2 nil England. These are all possible <laughs> all possibilities. What's your, what are you going for? Uh... It's really hard. I hate that I have to ask I know, you I think first we start every doing time. Sealed, sealed bids, sealed envelopes yeah. with our predictions because I would say two one, but that I mean, it's literally just on the basis that England are the better team, but they're not the better team by enough that you think that three nil is likely. Uh, well, let's move this along. I just wanted to briefly touch on the IPL auction, uh, which bulldozed its way onto the World Cricket Show news desk this week. The original concept for the IPL auction, I think, was that it would become a real landmark day on the cricketing calendar. Kind of like the NFL draft, Yeah, if, like, if we're American. Transfer a, deadline day. Yeah, like a really exciting day yeah. that everyone cares about. Um, and the first one in 2008 was pretty exciting because no one really knew what to expect. But at this point, it's very easy to miss the fact that it's happening. Yeah, and they've missed a trick, haven't they, with this? I think, you know, what's-his-face... Uh, What's his face? The commissioner? <laughs> What's his face? What was his face? <laughs> Lalit Modi. That's it, yeah. You know, Lalit Modi, you know, when he was around, you know, we missed it, didn't we? We missed him, now he's gone. <laughs> In a way. Uh, you know, we didn't like him at the time. But certainly they've missed a trick with this because it should be, like you say, it should be a really exciting day. The thing that really has kind of worn away my uh, enthusiasm for it over the last few years is since I chose to support, or since I was assigned the Rajasthan rules is that I know that we're not going to sign anyone good so there's no point in getting excited about it well yeah I mean this is that uh, a few years ago when we sort of first started reporting on the IPL we drew teams out of a hat to ourselves to support and Tony got the Rajasthan rules and I got the Kings 11 Punjab and both teams are I mean rubbish 
Um, and I think at the auction this time, Kings Eleven, I can't even can't even remember who we bought. Oh, Luke Pommers back was I think <laughs> was I think our big money overseas signing, which was just I mean couldn't really be any more depressing. The thing about it is that. It probably would be very exciting if it was a case like it was in 2008, that it was like all the best players in the world are up for auction and and the franchises are bidding for all of them. But like at this point, either the best players in the world are at a team already or they're in the pool, but they're completely ignored. And this is the thing that is so odd to me. Like with each passing year, I find the IPL auction more and more baffling because if like the big money buys this time... Glenn Maxwell went for $1 million to Mumbai. The 21-year-old Australian bowler Kane Richardson went to Pune for $700,000. Uh, and the uncapped Aussie Nathan Coulter-Nile went for $450,000. I mean, they're all Australian. There's bloody loads of Aussies in general. Bloody loads of them. Ben Lachlan, Dan Christian, Moses Enriques, James Faulkner. As I say, Luke Pommers back. Even Ricky Ponting. Here we go, Tane. The franchises are more obsessed with uninspiring Australians than fans of home and away. Do you like that? That's good. I saw you tweeted that. Yeah, I cracked that joke. I cracked that joke on Twitter. <laughs> it absolutely killed. So I thought, yeah. you know, better repeat it on the podcast. But so they all went, and many of them went for a lot of money, but there were no bids at all for Vernon Philander, Martin Guptill, Matt Pryor, Darren Bravo, Rangan Ahirath. You know, you could argue perhaps that there are reasons why you'd steer clear of one or two of those players. Philander and Pryor don't play 2020 internationally. But are you seriously telling me that you'd rather bid your way up to $700,000 for Kane Richardson than pay the $100,000 base price for Vernon Philander? That just doesn't make any sense. I am in agreement with you on this. It does seem a bit strange. Am am I allowed to change teams now? No. Can I switch to the Sunrisers? Definitely not. Yeah, this new team. You're right till you die. (sighs) But yeah, I mean, Royals picked up uh, in this auction. James Faulkner... Fidel Edwards and Kushal Pereira as well. So, uh, you know, plenty to look forward to. And and none of them are particularly uh, proven world-class players. And then there's what, these other guys the, sitting what, in the pool. What would be the motivation? Well, for, I don't for know. There's a, there's a possibility over. of, you know, maybe there's some vested interest here. Maybe there's certain players that, you know, the agents and things like that. I mean, it, I don't know. And I, I wouldn't want to accuse anyone of anything. But it, I think it would, it, it would undeniably be true that if, say, in football, you know, big clubs were regularly ignoring proven talent that was available in favour of guys that no one's really heard of them and paying massive money to get them and, and people say you know oh it's they're just buying what they need like they're they're, they're looking at what they need in the team so they they need an all-rounder they go out and buy an all-rounder or they need a fast bowler they go out and buy a fast bowler that's why they've bought those particular players but you know if you need a fast bowler don't buy Kane Richardson if Vernon Flanders there and it's not like they're wheeling and dealing and getting unproven guys for no money they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get them and ignoring martin guptill and rangan harath and people like that it just seems odd to me and it may just be that they don't have a clue what they're doing they're just maybe you know, they don't listen to the show you know, well, they don't know yeah, anything about cricket that's yeah. probably it do you want to know how long we've got until the ipl kicks off uh well i'm aware of it yeah april Again. april the third <sighs> is kolkata v delhi less than two months to go can uh, you wait Struggling to wait, and also not only does it start April the third, it finishes on the t- the end of May, so it's a long one, isn't it? Again, <laughs> that's for sure. Women's World Cup. This is a new item. I was contemplating calling it women, but let's let's go with Women's World Cup because the Women's World Cup is quite literally underway in India, uh, and it's actually it's been receiving, I think, quite a lot of coverage 
here in the UK. I don't know if you've noticed this time, but England's matches with Sri Lanka and India uh, were the lead story on BBC Sport when they were being played, which I've not seen with previous editions of the tournament, I don't think. So it does seem to be getting uh, more and more of a profile. The major story so far has been the progress of Sri Lanka, having never beaten any of the big four teams before. That's England, Australia, New Zealand, India. They managed to beat two of them in the group stage, England and India. England were absolutely shell-shocked. I don't think they expected to lose that game. England then managed to come back and beat India and beat West Indies and go through uh, with Charlotte Edwards, Catherine Brunt, Anya Shrubsol, amongst others, turning in good performances. So from England's perspective, it, it sort of looks like that Sri Lanka result was a blip. But it wasn't a blip for Sri Lanka because they went out and beat India as well and knocked out India. Good thing then for the women's game, you know, that, that Sri Lanka are, are coming to the party. West Indies have also had some, some excellent results in, in recent years, starting to break up that, as I say, that very long-established four of England, Australia, New Zealand, India. Maybe the women's game starting to take root more seriously in, in other parts of the world. Yeah, but certainly it's got to be a good thing. I mean, if, if women's cricket is to progress and achieve a bigger slice of the pie, then it needs to be competitive and it needs more than just a couple of teams to do that so yeah definitely uh and yeah i agree with you about the the, the coverage in england has been really pretty full-on pretty high up in bulletins yeah i don't know it's, it's, it is good it is good women's cricket's definitely got a real opportunity you know more so than maybe foot women's football or so women's rugby or something because i think the nature of cricket as a sport there's a lot regardless of which gender is playing uh, there's a lot of kind of op- there's a lot of circumstances and match kind of match situations that can develop, which create an interesting and exciting kind of spectacle. So, I mean, women's football is also growing in profile, and I think it's in both cases it's that the overall quality is improving. It's undeniably improving. I think um, women cricketers now are you know better than they ever have been before. The overall level is better than it has been before, and there are more and more teams that are coming through, like Sri Lanka and West Indies are now joining the party so it's just generally more competitive globally so all these things mean that um it's getting better which means that the profile is growing so it could be that in the future it occupies a similar sort of place in relation to men's cricket as women's tennis does to men's tennis in that you know it's never going to be the predominant form it's always going to be men's cricket that is the the most popular and the most closely followed but you know it can be not too far behind in terms of uh, profile that, yeah, that is possible and you know playing it alongside the men's tournaments is the way forward well i don't know why why is it being played what's to do with this <laughs> well you mean why is it not being played yeah. at the same time as the men's <laughs> yeah. world cup well in a way i think it couldn't really work because i mean they do that with the world 2020 don't they they play them both at the same time and they play the women's matches they play the women's final before directly before the men's final but i think that works really well in 2020 because the games are short i'm not sure that would necessarily work in the 50 over world cup and also you know in the 50 over world cup there's so much going on and it lasts for so long that i i I fear that the women's event might get a bit lost whereas as we're seeing now it's actually getting quite a lot of profile as a standalone tournament it's got a, a similarly ridiculous format to the, the men's event um, in that we've just had the group stages which have resulted in two teams being knocked out and six of the eight progressed to a super six, which just <laughs> seems a bit, a bit over the top, really, doesn't it? Uh, but India are one of the two teams to go out. They're the host nation. Is that bad for the tournament? You know, the, the fact that Sri Lanka have gone through is great for Sri Lanka, but is it bad for the tournament that, that India have, uh, are the team that have, uh, that have been knocked out? Well, it's bad for India, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you would say probably is, but after the tournament, it doesn't really affect us, I wouldn't say. Uh, no, I mean, Wait, not really, day-to-day lives. No, I mean, it doesn't really affect us in the UK or in England. It's not going to affect our interest, is it? It's not going to affect the British public's interest. No, absolutely. And the way that England are playing and recent history suggests that they've got a very good chance of winning this tournament. And, you know, having said about the, these teams kind of coming in and breaking up the big four, you'd still expect it to be either England or Australia that wins this tournament. You know, and if England go all the way, then the the coverage won't be affected at all. But it might be that um, attendances and stuff are a bit down with India not being there. But there is one bonus that's come out of it, which is that the uh, the fact India have gone out has set up a seventh place playoff with Pakistan. Uh, so that will be a very big game, although not with much of a prize at stake, but but a big game nonetheless. Can England do it then, Tane? Yeah, you'd have to think so. The England uh, girls yeah, I'm backing them, backing them. Are you backing them with money? No. Let's have a look at the odds there. Should I be? Well, you bet on pretty much everything else, so I'm quite surprised that you haven't. You're you're betting on everything. You're co- every time I talk to you, you're betting. You're a real sort of uh, you're a real high roller. You're a real shark. You're a real player. You're a real loser. You're a real moron. <laughs> the side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. How about this for a side note, Tane? This comes from a website by the name of bigpondsport.com. You weren't expecting that, were you? No. Did you think I was going to say Crick Info? I thought Crick Info might sneak in. Well, you were wrong. You were wrong. SCG crowd sets beer snake record. (laughs) An anonymous SCG security guard is being hailed as an Australian hero after helping bored patrons set a new world record for largest beer snake during the fourth one-day international between Australia and Sri Lanka. The beer snake, assembled during a rain delay, that ended with the match being washed out, stretched the entire length of the Victor Trumper stand. As fans held the snake aloft triumphantly, the SCG <laughs> scoreboard trumpeted the new world mark, which eclipses the past record holder, a beer snake assembled at the Wacker in 2007. Late on Sunday night, the Wikipedia entry for beer snake had been edited in praise of the anonymous helper. A glorious security guard liaised with police officers to ensure the safe passage of a smaller beer snake from one side of the side screen to the other, thereby joining the two nascent snakes into a beer moth. A fan-made YouTube video of the snake also gave a shout-out to the guard, calling him a late balter for Australian of the year. (laughs) Malcolm Conn, chief cricket writer for News Limited, quipped on Twitter that the beer snake (laughs) rivalled Mitchell Stark, 52 not out, for man of the match. How very droll. Ugh. What? I love this Wikipedia article. There's a whole section on procedure. What, well, how to put together how to, a beer how snake. to build. Uh, I mean, including, you know, including kind of examples of where it's all gone wrong as a result of several minor injuries that occurred when a beer snake collapsed during a regular season <laughs> Canadian Football League game. The Winnipeg Football Club banned the creation of beer snakes during Winnipeg Blue Bombers football games. Struggle to understand how anyone could be injured by a beer snake collapse. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a mind, like yeah, a mind exactly. collapse. Or like a... It's also known as a super snake or a cup snake. It's one of your favourite things, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. Cricket. I yeah. can't get enough of it. Like, <laughs> I went to Durham a few years ago and I was just being driven slowly mad because I sat right in the middle of the Barmy Army. And to begin with, I was like, this is brilliant. This is great banter. And by like five in the afternoon, having been there for six hours, when the Barmy Army are six hours drunk <laughs> and they're just going, feed the snake and it will grow. Feed the snake and it will grow. I was really at the end of my tether. <laughs> like on this Wikipedia article, surprisingly long. Like it's not really long, but it's longer than you might imagine an article about beer snakes would be. 
but it's broken up into different sections, including origins, procedure, and materials. <laughs> like that, materials being plastic cups. Origins. The first recorded beer snake occurred on January the 3rd, 2001, at the Sydney Cricket Ground, Australia. The first recorded beer snake. It's like they saw one in a cave painting or something, is <laughs> yeah. what that sounds like. Uh, one more side note for you this week, Tone. Uh, comes from the Wall Street Journal. A cricket paradise in Jersey. Now, wait a minute. Not the Jersey you're thinking of, our rival island, uh, but New Jersey. New Jersey was the first Jersey that came to mind. Okay, right. yeah. Well, co- coming from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose that probably makes sense. I'm constantly confused by that programme, Jersey Shore, because yeah. I immediately think they're talking about our Jersey. We've been talking for a long time that we were going to we, we were going to make a rival called Guernsey Shore. Well, I've been talking about it. I was yeah. just going to follow you around with a video camera <laughs> on some of your nights out. Just stitch that together into a 30-minute programme, send it off to MTV. Just wait for the check to roll in. Yeah, well, just cut me in on that. (laughs) Okay, yeah, a cricket paradise in Jersey. Veer Chiriwala, a five-year-old boy who spends time every year in India, wanted something unusual for his fourth birthday, a cricket party. This was a little like reading Goodnight Moon and then begging for a trip to outer space. Where was his mother supposed to find a cricket pitch in the middle of suburban New Jersey? Right next to her dentist's office, it turns out. (laughs) There she discovered Indoor Cricket USA, the area's answer to Lord's Cricket Ground. <laughs> I like that. Quote, It was like a dream, pretty Chiriwala said. Indoor Cricket USA, a turfed facility with batting cages and bowling machines, uh, opened in 2007 and is now the rarest of US sports venues, a cricket haven in New Jersey. Cricket is a tough sell in the US and has been since it was supplanted by baseball in the 19th century. The United States of America Cricket Association estimates 35,000 to 50,000 people play in the country. About 10,000 of those are registered in USACA leagues, with the highest concentration in New York. But lack of interest hasn't deterred cricketers, real and fictional, from peddling their pastime. In the 2008 novel Netherland, which was praised by President Barack Obama, one character's outsized American dream is to build a cricket stadium in New York. Indoor Cricket USA owner Lalta Passad and his brother actually did so in the Richmond Hill neighbourhood of Queens in 2000. When the ground was destroyed by fire two years later, Passad, a financial controller born in Guyana, moved to Jefferson, New Jersey. There, he set up the Indoor Cricket Centre. It's a shrine to the sport. On one wall is a photo of W.G. Grace, the Babe Ruth of the English game, across from a poster explaining cricket to rookies. American cricket fans say the sport is slowly catching on. It is easier to follow international events online, and ESPN's website recently started live-streaming matches. I really think in a few years, everyone will know about cricket here, says Ryan Passad. So yeah, cricket in America, eh? We've never talked about that before, have we? Well, we have, but I just, you know, I just thought it was interesting. Firstly, it was uh, kind of just, it's always interesting to read an American take on cricket like that. But also, you know, as a, you know, this podcast does have a lot of listeners in the US. uh, I just think it would be interesting to, you know, just to say to people, if you do play cricket in America, if you don't just listen to our show, if you play cricket as well, just get in touch and let us know, you know, what it's like, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll relay some stories. But it mentioned that novel, Netherland. Have you read it? The one that was given a shout-out by uh, Bazaar Obama. I've got it. I haven't read it. I've had it for ages, and I've just not quite got around to reading it. And I read this article, I thought I should probably read it, but I've actually I've got a big pile of novels that I'm sort of slowly working my way through at the moment. So I thought, you know, it'd be quite a while before I actually get around to it. So what I thought I might do was to give it to you, 
Wow. Uh, now I've got it here because I know that your New Year's resolution <laughs> was originally to read a book a week. It was then downgraded to read a book. Yeah. So why don't you make this that book, Tone? I'm going to do that, mate. I'm there it do is. That. Look at that. Maybe you could report back to book. us. Richard and Judy's book club. It's, it's, it's got the stamp of approval. <laughs> you could report back to us over the next couple of weeks, you know, update us on your progress. Yeah, well, see, I don't know how long it'll take me. Do you want to read the, the blurb, the, the blurb on the Should jacket? read it out? Yeah, read it out. Hans Vandenbroek chooses cricket, it says. Alone in a terrorised city, struggling to understand the disappearance from his life of people, places and feelings, he seeks refuge in the game of his childhood. This is, is this, are you getting into this? Yeah, I'm, I'm hooked Have already. I've got an audiobook future. <laughs> uh, but New York cricket is a long way from the tranquil sport he grew up with. It's a rough, almost secret game played in scrubby, marginal urban parks by people the city doesn't see. People like Chuck Ram Kassoon. Years later, when a body is pulled out of a New York canal, hands tied behind its back. God, this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> hands is forced to remember his unusual friendship with Chuck, dreamer, visionary, and perhaps something darker. So it's basically about murder, not cricket. But... Well, yeah, it's about cricket and murder. This is going to be brilliant, mate. Should you read us the first line of the book? The afternoon before I left London for New York, Rachel had flown out six weeks previously. I was in my cubicle at work, boxing up my possessions, when a senior vice president at the bank, an Englishman in his 50s, came to wish me well. Wow. Well, and that is one of the great opening lines <laughs> in, in, in literature. Has it grabbed you? Uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite things. Banking, London, New York. Cricket, murder. Can we, can we maybe scrap the cricket element of this show, <laughs> and we'll just get you reading books? Shall I read the last line now? Like... Don't read the last line, Tane. A friend of mine always reads the last page of a book before she re starts reading it, and it drives me mad because I, I lend her books all the time, and I'm like, when she's halfway through, I'm like, are you enjoying it? She's like, yeah, I'm not sure about the ending though. It's, it like seems like a bit of a sad ending. I'm just like, oh my god, you're Why ruining you it. That? You're ruining it. Like, it genuinely... No, that's, I mean, that's just the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> like, I mean, it actually upsets me. Like, I'm upset by it. That's kind of like scraping your dinner into the bin before you started it, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> basically, just trashing a really good thing. Much like the iron in Monopoly, this episode of the World Cricket Show is on the way out. Did you see that story, Tone? The, uh, the iron token is being replaced in Monopoly, replaced by a cat. Why? Well, they did a thing, they... they got fans Hasbro got fans of Monopoly to vote on which piece they most wanted to save and the piece with the least votes the iron which is the most my favorite piece is the hat the hat's fine the hat's safe that's why it's just the be. iron the iron's gone but I mean you say why but it's because then people go oh yeah Monopoly and go and buy Monopoly yeah okay true because like we're talking about it on the World Cricket Show that's, that's shame immediately that about five million really. people suddenly go out and buy Monopoly just because we're talking about it and <laughs> um, apparently there used to be other tokens that have been replaced in the past a lantern, a purse, a rocking horse. Fascinating stuff. I prefer that to the car. I don't like the car because a hat and iron, they have, to, they have something in common, you know, they're inanimate objects. Whereas a car... Whereas a car is a living thing. Isn't it? Are you we, thinking of Lightning McQueen again? By Pix, from Pixar. No, what I mean is that a car is an actual thing that you could well use to navigate, you know, a, a street of... Yeah, yeah, exactly, the streets of London. Whereas a hat or an iron, <laughs> unless and a car, yeah, I hate people who choose the car. Yeah, <laughs> you hate people who choose yeah. the car. It's always very it's telling as to what people choose. When did you last play Monopoly? A few years ago, I guess. Yeah. Were, you, were you a fan as a kid? I loved, loved it. Yeah. Did you? Loved it. Yeah. Did you? Did you only ever play the the original version, or did you have other versions? Oh, you mean like Guernseyopoly? There is that? a Guernseyopoly. Yeah. Yeah, I used to play the original London one. Yeah. 
I've got US Space Program Edition, <laughs> uh, which is great because you go around, like, as well as, like, Apollo 11, obviously, is, like, Mayfair. But, like, I, I really like all the, the rubbish ones at the beginning because it's, like, oh, you've landed on Gemini 7. <laughs> <laughs> like, now you can successfully complete the first orbital rendezvous between spacecraft. I love it. That's, your, that's definitely your thing. That's my thing. Oh, cheers to the book, mate. And they worries, mate. <laughs> You're going to read it? I will, actually. Don't hold your breath, though. <laughs> uh, in terms of pay... I mean, it's not a long book, though, is it? And the words are quite big. <laughs> yeah, that's why I picked it out for <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. especially. So I think it's quite achievable, actually. I genuinely think you could read that in two weeks, I reckon. Oh, shit, mate. I'd, yeah, i read that in, like, two days. Mate. No, I mean, obviously, if you sat down and read it, it wouldn't take you two whole weeks. But, I mean, in terms of fitting yeah. into your busy lifestyle of running everywhere and betting... I think you could probably read it in two weeks. Philip French from the Observer Books of the Year describes it as the post-9-11 novel we've been waiting for. What does that mean? <laughs> I didn't realise we were waiting for a post-9-11 novel. About cricket. Yeah. So that's what you're going to be doing with your time this week. Um, perhaps people who are listening to this might fancy spending their time doing things on the internet related to the World Cricket Show. You could like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricket show. Follow us on Twitter twitter.com slash cricket show follow tony at tony cover t-o-n-y-c-v double r i saw that you tweeted something uh what did you tweet no i haven't really been tweeting a lot mate. it's always like a big moment when you tweet no you haven't been tweeting have you i've said that i saw you were tweeting but you haven't been tweeting i've, I've not really got that over the line yet so you're tweeting something about betfair yeah i, I i'm i genuinely am thinking about staging an intervention <laughs> Because it's getting a bit silly. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll try and tweet the book. I'll live tweet the book, maybe. Okay. My thoughts on it. Page by page. Yeah. Like, good page, that. <laughs> uh, some interesting stuff. So, yeah, that's Twitter. Email. You can send us one. Worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes if you really feel like helping us out. Uh, we massively appreciate all of those. Check out our online website, www.cricketshow.net. You can buy World Cricket Show t-shirts on that website, just £15, including free shipping to anywhere in the world. And don't forget as well about the World Tennis Show, the world's favourite tennis show. The easiest place to go for that on the internet is facebook.com slash world tennis show. But that's about it from us this week. Stay in school, guys. Keep warm. It's cold out there, isn't it? Windy. Spring's on its way, though, mate. Brr, am I right? Come on, I've, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got to go. <laughs> You're ready to go about <laughs> 25 minutes ago. Yeah, that's good, mate. I've enjoyed that. See you later. It happens to us all. It happens to us all. Each day, each year, yeah, yeah. Not to smell your fear. Ba da da ba 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 da da ba ba. busman's holiday that turned out to be didn't it because <laughs> I ended up taking a break from the po- <coughs> <coughs> ended up taking a break from the po- <laughs> <coughs> try not to cough you know we were pretty with him <coughs> you okay <coughs> yeah <coughs> oh England winning really Wayne Rooney remember the name nice to see your old fans booing you <laughs>
Ronaldinho, talk, Mr. Penn, mate. Talk about loyal support. Talk. <laughs> Can't do it. Indoor cricket USA owner Lalta Passad and his brother God, actually did. Out there. God, that terrified me. Who is it? <laughs> that so absolutely it. terrified me, though. I could be. Okay. Right, I'll turn the lights on next time we do it. Yeah. It's too scary. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.